It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. I'm Tyrus. I'm Liz Clayman. I'm Greg Jarrett. And this is the Fox News Rundown. Thursday, October 6th, 2022. I'm Dave Anthony. Brittany Griner is still in prison in Russia. So is another American who is not a star basketball player, Paul Whelan. We talked to his brother, David. It's all about uh, extorting a concession from the U.S. government, uh, and Brittany Griner's case is the exact same way. And I'm sure that we will see other Americans arrested in the same way and used for the same purposes. And Lisa Brady, a debate about the NFL's concussion protocol comes roaring back. Trained doctors should have seen the total picture of things, seen the signs on the field and say, I don't care if he passes the protocol, that's a concussion. You don't show those signs if you don't have a concussion and he's not going back in. And I'm DeRoy Murdoch. I've got the final word on the Fox News Rundown. The only court Brittany Griner sees these days is the legal kind. And the star American basketball player still jailed in Russia has another hearing set for October 25th to appeal her drug conviction. Another sham judicial uh, proceeding. She she should be released immediately. And White House Press Secretary Karine Jean-Pierre says they keep trying to work out a prisoner's swap with Russia. The president has demonstrated that he is willing to go to extraordinary lengths and make tough decisions to bring Americans home. Greiner was detained in February with cannabis vape cartridges in her luggage at a Moscow airport. And when the WNBA star was convicted in August, she apologized for my mistake that I made and the embarrassment that I brought on them. I made an honest mistake and I hope that in your ruling that it doesn't end my life here. Griner got a nine-year prison sentence. It feels to me as if she's a hostage. Her wife, Sherelle Griner, tells CBS News in an interview with Gail King airing today. It terrifies me because I mean, when you watch movies, like, sometimes those situations don't end well. Mm-hmm. Sometimes they never get the person back. Sometimes but this is not a movie, though. Exactly, this and this is my life. And so I'm sitting there like, do we get her back? Do I ever get to see my wife again? The same kinds of questions Paul Whelan's family is asking. He's an American who's been jailed in Russia since December 2018. The Biden administration's trying to include him in that prisoner swap, giving his case a higher profile. I think more public attention, yes. But even with the Griner case, we have already seen the Biden administration very engaged in Paul's case. David Whelan is his brother. So I think we had sort of a confluence of two events coming together. But this dates back to when it was the Trump administration. I mean, your brother was detained in 2018. How much help did you get then trying to get him out? Practically none. Uh, And I think that's the real challenge for any American who's wrongfully detained is that it all depends on whether the administration in office at the time is going to make an effort. And so for the first two years of Paul's detention, no effort was made to bring him home. He was obviously supported well by the consular staff at the embassy in Moscow, but uh, it wasn't really until the Biden administration that our family and and many families, there are over 50 Americans wrongfully detained around the world, that uh, we all started to see much more engagement, much more attempts to bring people home. And and we saw the fruits of that last week when some Americans and uh, citizens and uh, residents came home from Venezuela. 
What happened? Why is your brother Paul in prison in Russia? Well, it's a it's a pretty simple case, really. He had gone to help a friend who was a former Marine uh, who was getting married to a Russian woman. The wedding was going to be in Moscow, and Paul was going to help with the American visitors who were going there because he'd been to Moscow a couple times. A, a Russian friend came to his hotel room and gave him a USB stick. And uh, as soon as he accepted it, the state security services came through the door and arrested him. And they said that there were uh, state secrets on that USB drive, which he had not used or seen what was on the drive. And it's gone downhill from there. I mean, he was he was entrapped by a friend helping another friend and has been in custody ever since. Any uh, Any idea why someone would set him up like that? Russia is a terribly, terribly corrupt country, and it's just the most base instincts. Uh, as we understand it, as reported in Russian media, he did it because he thought he might be able to get a promotion. And it would also stop him from having to pay Paul back for two iPhones that Paul had bought and brought over uh, for the friend. So, I mean, it was, it's just it's just money and promotion. It's just really base instincts. So he gets then convicted, right, uh, of being a spy. Right. And he got 16 years, correct? That That's his sentence? That's right. Yes, he was sentenced in June of 2020, and uh, if he has to serve his entire sentence, and if they don't uh, extend it, which they can do, uh, it'll be 2034 before he gets out. How much contact have you or anyone in your family had directly with him? Uh, Directly, uh, a lot less. Um, For the first 18 months when he was in the Lofortova Detention Center in Moscow, he was only allowed to write letters. He wasn't able to speak to anybody in our family. And then since he's been moved out to his labor camp in Mordovia, which is in the center of Russia, he's been able to make phone calls pretty regularly to our parents. The only times that he hasn't been able to call is when he's been either put into solitary confinement or sent to a hospital uh, prison for medical attention or whatever, and they don't allow phone calls there. But I would presume whatever he wrote is scrutinized, and I would assume someone's probably over his shoulder as he talks on the phone. Would you assume? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, right. literally, and they are often recording his phone calls to our parents. So he's not able to, you know, talk about his case. It, it is mostly about things that are going on in the prison, just day to day activities. And and my parents the same way. They talk about their day to day lives in Michigan. What does he say? What does he say he has to do in a labor camp? Uh, well, we know that he is uh, making some sort of textile, some sort of clothing, or at least was before the Russian invasion of Ukraine and sanctions uh, happened. So he makes buttonholes, I believe, and uh, the prisoners sometimes make clothes for themselves or like footwear and hats to uh, to keep off the cold. But it's very rudimentary, and it sounds like the work has started to come to a halt because they just aren't able to get supplies with the sanctions. A few weeks ago, your sister met with President Biden, right? Elizabeth. Right. What was that like? What did she say? What did the president tell her? Well, I think it's a great honor to meet the U.S. president uh, and any U.S. president and I think it meant a lot to our family that he was willing to take time to speak to uh, Elizabeth about Paul to explain what the administration was trying to do. So I, I think we were uh, we were really honored and touched by that. And and for my sister, who has really spent the last almost four years doing government relations, going down, trying to get traction with the Trump administration, trying to get congressional support, which resulted in uh, two House resolutions and a Senate resolution. I think it was really the culmination of a lot of effort. And uh, so I think from that perspective, it felt like she had made all the progress really that she that she could. But at the same time, you hear the same reports that are still waiting, essentially, supposedly, for Russia to respond. The U.S. had made an offer, supposedly, for a prisoner swap. There was reports that it was some arms dealer named Victor Boot. 
but it has to be frustrating for you. It is frustrating. And, and, and I think that I would just qualify what you said in that I don't know that they have not made any response. Um, they had asked for the release of a Russian assassin who was being held by the Germans. And, you know, the U.S. government isn't able to agree to that. And so the Russians may be making all sorts of uh, crazy demands, and uh, the U.S. government may just not be able to fulfill uh, those demands and, and may have to wait until the Russians realize that. And that's got to be even harder to know that they're being not really negotiating in good faith. Exactly. Yeah, I think that's the frustrating part. Do you fear that it's possible that they might do a swap for just Brittany Griner and not involve your brother? Is that possible? Oh, uh, more than possible. Uh, we saw that with Trevor Reed in April of this year, and I think that it's at least a 50% chance that that will happen. At the end of the day, if the U.S. government can get Brittany Griner out and can't get Paul out, they should do that. And it would be terrible for Paul and for our family. But each individual needs to be freed when they can can be released. Trevor Reed was set free in April in a prisoner swap with Russia. He was jailed there for three years. When I came back, I was 130 pounds. Um, I've regained about wow. 60 pounds since I've been home. And Reed told Fox's Bill Hammer. It's terrible there, obviously. Uh, you know, the food that you're getting is extremely poor quality. Um, in the forced labor camp, I refused to work, so I was being punished uh, by by being put in solitary confinement. That consists of basically just a, a concrete room. Uh, I slept on the floor for most of my time there. And David Whelan is happy for Trevor and the Reed family that his ordeal is now over. We've been doing this for almost four years for Paul and uh, with Paul's case, and so you really do understand what other families are going through. And to know that another family is not suffering in the same way that yours is and that their loved one isn't suffering in the same way that yours is. Uh, it's uh, it's very powerful. I know in Paul's background, he's, he's mentioned that he, you know, he was a former Marine, but he had a bad conduct discharge and, uh, and a court-martial conviction. That's all years ago. Is that possible that that led to the U.S. government not being interested right away at helping him? I don't think so. Uh, it's not really clear why the uh, Trump administration didn't get involved earlier. It may have been that there were awfully an awful lot of other Russia-related issues with the administration, and they, they felt like Russia was just an area that they weren't comfortable uh, trying to get involved in. But uh, yeah, it's really hard to know. I don't think anything from his background uh, impacted their decision to act or not to act. I do think that it underscores the fact that he really is probably the least likely candidate uh, to be a spy for the U.S. government. But that, I mean, that goes nowhere in Russia, right? I mean, your brother is a chip in a game, isn't he? Exactly. Yeah. It's all about uh, extorting a concession from the U.S. government. Uh, and Brittany Griner's case is the exact same way. And, uh, and I'm sure that we will see other Americans arrested in the same way and used for the same purposes. Lastly, so often we hear in stories about your brother him being called Paul Whelan or Paul Whelan. And so we're trying to figure out the right way to pronounce his name. But you're, <laughs> you pronounce your name differently than your brother, correct? As far as I know, yes. But, you know, uh, you don't really ever call your brother by their last name. So true. I, I, That's I, true. You know, I've, I've never called Paul Paul Whelan before. And so it, once a journalist started asking, um, I finally decided to ask my parents on their next phone call with him to ask 
how does Paul say his last name? Because we're an immigrant family. We came to uh, the States uh, from Canada and from England, and uh, we have always pronounced it Whelan. But a, a lot of other people who have the same last name spelling, uh, particularly in Michigan and in southeastern Ontario can in Canada, they pronounce it Whelan. And so uh, we grew up being called both Whelan and Whelan and, and respond to both. And uh, it, it was my understanding that Paul used the last name Whelan, even though the other five of us in our family are still Whelan. Um, but, you know, I, I don't really know. So so I'm <laughs> going to ask and, and check because it's one of those things that you don't even think about until, well, until your family's in the media spotlight. Right, because we want to get it right. And now we don't even know what to say. Although <laughs> I think that I think the best way for now, until your parents come up with something different, talking to him directly, will say it's the case of Paul Whelan still imprisoned in Russia. Yeah, I think that that's fair. Otherwise, you're saying that Whelan said that Whelan said that <laughs> Whelan did this. And yeah, it's too confusing. <laughs> well, David Whelan, brother of Paul, thank you very much for joining us. We wish you well and, and hope you have a, a good, successful ending to this story soon. Thanks so much, Dave. I appreciate it. I'm Charles Payne. Listen to my Unstoppable Prosperity podcast so I can get you making money right now. Whether stocks are hitting new all-time highs or in freefall mode, opportunities abound. So why are so many potential investors still sitting on the sidelines? In a new season of my podcast, I'm going to get you in the game. After 38 years on Wall Street, I'm ready to impart some lessons and get you invested in the greatest wealth-generating machine in history. Listen anytime, everywhere at foxbusinesspodcast.com or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. This is DeRoy Murdoch with your Fox News commentary coming up. Week five of the NFL season kicks off tonight, but there's still a lot of talk about what happened in week four when Dolphins quarterback Tua Tungavailoa was carried off the field in Cincinnati, suffering a concussion serious enough to trigger obvious physical signs, including an unnatural arm position known as fencing. Some fans and doctors say he shouldn't have been on the field Thursday night after a serious hit the Sunday before that left him wobbly when he got up, sparking controversy about the decision to put him back into the that game. The Miami Dolphins staff and whoever uh, is over their protocols should be disgusted right now. I mean, to, to put a man through this. Former NFL safety Jack Brewer, CEO of the Jack Brewer Foundation, says we don't see most concussions. Really what it shows you as well is we're watching the quarterback. So this is the face of the franchise, but you don't see the dozens and dozens of men uh, who have these type of injuries every day at practice, at games, who they're putting back on the field that don't get this type of attention. The Sunday call to let Tungavailoa get back on the field was made by a team trainer and an independent neuroconsultant after evaluation for a head injury. NFL.com says the consultant has been fired by the Players Association, but a review by the union and the league continues. I'm so horrified by the care that Tua was not provided twice that, yes, I hope this is the last time we have to go through this. Chris Nowinski is a former pro wrestler who's now a neuroscientist and co-founder of the Concussion Legacy Foundation. The reality is we go through this every few years with the NFL that they put somebody who obviously is concussed back in and we put a patch on the protocol and, and hope it won't happen again, but it'll happen again. Fans who saw Tua get hit in the Sunday game were commenting on social media, you know, hey, that looks pretty bad. It looks like it could be a concussion just from the way that he was wobbling when he got up from that initial hit on Sunday. But he was evaluated. Is there 
a way that an expert could miss those signs of concussion or could he have been all right to be put back on the field like he was on Sunday, in your opinion? Yeah. No, he should never have been back on the field. And the problem is, you know, the doctor, I think, believes they followed the protocol to the letter and the protocol has flaws, but we're also relying on the doctors to make good decisions. And the video shows five distinct signs of concussions, one of which is 100% specific to concussion in my experience, which is the shaking off your co- the cobwebs head-to-head uh, movement, which we all know and have seen and, and always assume concussion. So even if they could find another reason for him to have what they call gross motor instability or fall down and be unable to stand, they should have held him out clinically with using their judgment for the head-to-head side shake. So trained doctor should have seen the total picture of things, seen the signs on the field and say, I don't care if he passes the protocol, that's a concussion. You don't show those signs if you don't have a concussion and he's not going back in. There have been widespread reports now that the independent neurotrauma consultant who helped make that call has been fired. But the Miami Dolphins coach, Mike McDaniel, has said he's not worried about timetables. He's only worried about Tua's health. But he also says that he followed medical advice and that he had no concerns about a head injury before making the decision to put Tua in the lineup for the following game on the Thursday. I think this is a failure of leadership. Uh, You know, I want to give the coach benefit of the doubt, but... You know, he saw what he saw in the field. And anyone who has been around football, you know, I played at Harvard, you see somebody hit their head off the ground, get up and fall over, you're going to assume concussion 100% of the time. And even if a doctor came back and said, oh, it was his back, you're going to go, that wasn't his back. You know, you got to believe his own eyes. He never reached for his back. He never implied a back injury. And the idea that he can come back and play after a back injury doesn't make any sense either. So, you know, why would you put a player with a back injury back into the game is also kind of silly. So and then you know, we made a lot of noise after the Sunday game. You know, we, my, my tweets were covered by The New York Times to say that was definitely a concussion. That wasn't a back thing. And if the coach is not paying attention to that and the team is not paying attention to that, then, you know, they should be punished as much as they can be for a failure of looking out for somebody. Hasn't the league in general, though? come a long way on this because they had this billion dollar concussion settlement with former players over dementia and other problems stemming from concussions. You know, there's been a lot of research in recent years about the brain disease, CTE and concussions. Haven't we come a long way on this issue, including the NFL? We have come a long way in this issue. If you think 15 years ago, the NFL was trying to convince us that they had done research that said, if you're knocked unconscious and you go back into the game, it's safe and and how dare you question our medical care. You know, at least now on their fourth chief medical officer since I've been doing this for the last 15 years, the other group, the other ones were all fired because of the things they said were so ridiculous. They're finally on their fourth chief medical officer who is saying mostly the right things, but I've been very disappointed in him this week for trying to back the Dolphins did everything right on that Sunday. So, you know, even good people can are, are being put in untenable positions trying to defend the NFL and they're saying absurd things. The NFL's protocol is not driven by the NFL. It's been driven by the Players Association. They fought every single step of the way. This is another time where the veil is lifted that they really don't care about the long-term health of their players. 
Everything the NFL does makes sense if you just consider it being 32 billionaires who are trying to increase the value of their assets before they sell them to the next guy. And so we keep seeing bad corporate behavior and we keep seeing sort of these underdogs as players and the player association fighting for what should be common sense medical care, but instead is exploitation of vulnerable people with brain injuries. The league has made some changes in recent years to address damaging head injuries, including a ban on blindside blocks, for instance. In a joint statement on the Tungavailoa concussion investigation, the NFL and the Players Union say modifications in the concussion protocol are coming to enhance player safety. But Dr. Nowinski isn't just worried about NFL players. He's worried about children playing all kinds of sports. The goal of the Stop Hitting Kids in the Head campaign is to convince people to stop hitting kids in the head. And what we mean by that is that we all know it's bad to hit kids in the head, but somehow we literally have hundreds of millions and really billions of head impacts happening in youth sports. The idea that we know these things are dangerous for adults and cause CTE and cause long-term brain injuries, and yet we have kids doing the same sports by the same rules is ridiculous. So what we're trying to do is both tell parents, hey, don't put your kid out there like a sacrificial lamb. Whatever you think you're teaching them, you can teach them that without hitting them in the head 500 times a year. Like, that's just a fact. So let's separate sports participation from hitting children in the head now that we know it causes brain diseases and it causes concussions. Don't enroll your kids till 14 in these contact sports, but also we're working with the contact sports to raise the age at which they have contact so that kids can play those sports. So it's a little bit of a fight for the next five years, but we're going to get to a point very quickly that you're not hitting soccer balls till you're 14 and flag football is the norm until you're 14. And until that day, I would say to parents, please, for the love of God, do not put your kid in these contact sports. Do not have them getting hit at 100 times a year, because all I deal with is the consequences of the people who have had those childhoods. And some of them, it ends up ruining their life. And what again, whatever gains we thought they had are not worth having a brain disease. I just lost my college roommate who I played football with at Harvard who showed all the signs of having CT and we're studying his brain now. And I just had to go visit, you know, his widow and four kids to talk about it. I mean, it's, this is not light stuff. This is life and death. And I'm just really hoping we'll just stop doing this to children. Chris, I'm sorry for your loss. And I, and I know you've, you share some heartbreaking and really frightening stories as part of this campaign on the website. I mean, teen athletes who had concussions and later, developed depression and committed suicide. Now, we really should note this is not every kid's concussion story. There are many who fully recover. So as you say, it's kind of a balancing act, how to address this and keep kids safer. But you're not necessarily saying no kids play sports under a certain age because sports can also really help with children's mental health. Right. Non-contact sports are usually all benefit, right? Exercise, teamwork, mental health, all those things are great. But when you start layering in hundreds of head impacts, you start taking away those benefits and you start adding significant risks. Just one concussion can double someone's risk of suicide for the rest of their life. Um, You know, study after study is showing significant mental health consequences from just one concussion, increased risk of depression, anxiety, 
self-harm, what we call novel mental health disorders. So yeah, now that we are compiling the stories of all these young, great athletes who thought they had it all, whose lives start spiraling in their teens and 20s, I hope we listen. And all we have to do is literally just tweak the rules of the sports for the youngest kids when it doesn't matter, and we will have massive gains. You retired from pro wrestling after experiencing post-concussion syndrome. Were you surprised by the symptoms of it? What was it like for you? <laughs> yeah, I was very surprised. So, you know, I, I grew up in the you know, 80s and 90s when we just didn't really talk about this and it wasn't part of the culture. And so when I had a concussion at the age of 24 with the WWE that uh, sort of knocked me silly in the ring, I, I my memory wasn't working, I couldn't remember how to finish the match and I had this massive headache, I still dismissed it as just normal. I wrestled for an additional month, kept getting hit in the head, and it turned into permanent post-concussion syndrome. Once I learned that that was a concussion from Dr. Robert Cantu, who ended up being uh, my co-founder at the Concussion Legacy Foundation because of everything he taught me, um, I realized that I've been getting concussions my whole career. I just didn't consider them to be concussions or things worth mentioning to the athletic trainer or doctor. And uh, by that time, it was too late. I, you know, 15,000 hits to the head plus uh, a known number of undiagnosed and untreated concussions. And I've never been the same. And I have to look out for what's ahead of me. Are you hoping that we're getting to some sort of a turning point on this issue? You know, every time this pops up, we make a small advancement down the field, to use a football analogy, but we have a long way to go. One thing that culturally that we just don't appreciate is that when this happens to Tua, we're very hyper-focused on let's fix the protocol, let's fix the protocol. But even concussions that are managed properly do result in long-term problems. And so prevention is a much better option, and that's why we're so focused on changing sports for kids. And then the other thing, like I would argue the NFL is almost in a better place because we're talking about concussions now, which seem like a, an acute manageable problem. And suddenly we're not talking about CTE. We're not talking about Demarius Thomas developing epilepsy from a traumatic brain injury and dying at the age of 33 last year. CTE is sort of the dark cloud hanging over the NFL that they never want to talk about. It never comes up on Sundays. And so we are trying to help scientists do the research necessary so that in 10 or 20 years, we might have a pill we can take to stop our brains from rotting from playing football. Dr. Chris Nowinski, former pro wrestler, neuroscientist, co-founder of the Concussion Legacy Foundation. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you. Meet the American who shaped modern football. Walter Camp, pigskin pioneer. Baseball may be America's pastime, but football is its passion. And one man, Walter Camp, did more than any other American to shape the nation's love affair with the sport today. Camp was born in New Britain, Connecticut in 1859. He was a star player for Yale University from 1876 to 1881. He then coached football at Yale from 1888 to 1892, producing some of the top teams on the college gridiron. 
Camp's 1888 Yale team, for example, went 13-0, outscoring its opponents 694-0. By many accounts, it was the most dominant team in more than 150 years of college football history. Camp later served as rulemaker and author, writing dozens of books, hundreds of articles about football, while serving on national rules committees for over four decades. Football wasn't invented as basketball or volleyball were. No, it evolved out of soccer and rugby. And in the early years, the rules were inconsistent. Among Camp's contributions to the game were the line of scrimmage, a system of downs, and 11 men per side. Football was a brutally violent sport in years past. From 1900 to 1905, 45 players were killed on the field. It's why President Teddy Roosevelt enlisted Walter Camp's aid in 1905 to make the game safer which he did. Camp died in 1925 at the age of 65. He's buried today in New Haven, Connecticut. In 2003, the U.S. Postal Service issued a Walter Camp stamp honoring his role in creating the great American game. I'm Gianna Gelosi. Go to the lifestyle section at foxnews.com to find more of these incredible stories. Hi, everybody. It's Brian Kilmeade. I want you to join me weekdays at 9 a.m. East as we break down the biggest stories of the day with some of the biggest newsmakers and, of course, what you think. Listen live or get the podcast now at briankilmeadeshow.com. Subscribe to this podcast at foxnewspodcasts.com. It's time for your Fox News commentary. DeRoy Murdoch. What's on your mind? Democrats promised that defunding the police would yield utopia. Congresswoman Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, Democrat of New York, predicted that America would look, in her words, like a suburb. AOC did not mention that this posh village would include hoodlums breaking into mansions, residents getting robbed beside white picket fences, and neighbors seeing BMWs carjacked at gunpoint. This horror show is the result of deliberate Democrat policies. Defund the police, pro-criminal prosecutors who defend punks, decriminalize shoplifting, no cash bail. Violent criminals watch this lawlessness and think, our time is now. Democrats cannot be trusted on crime, period. They're too wedded to political correctness and equity to inconvenience lawbreakers who, unfortunately, are disproportionately black and brown. The solution is to pry Democrats from office. Republicans can fight crime without getting their boxers and panties into knots over evildoers' ethnicity. Local, state, and, where appropriate, federal Republican candidates should promise this path back to law and order. First, deny law enforcement grants to jurisdictions that let wrongdoers run rampant. Second, subject pro-criminal prosecutors such as Chicago's Kim Fox, Los Angeles's George Gascon, and Philadelphia's Larry Krasner to withering interrogation at oversight hearings. Third, as Senator Ted Cruz, Republican of Texas, recommends, deny confirmation to pro-criminal Biden appointees, as should have befallen police defunding cheerleaders Kristen Clark and Vanita Gupta. They now are top Justice Department officials. Fourth, fund the police. Boost budgets to recruit, train, pay, promote, and retain police officers. Fifth, entice rookies by helping them pay their college debts in exchange for law enforcement service. Sixth, where possible, fire pro-criminal prosecutors. If sworn in as governor, New York Republican Lee Zeldin promises immediately to sack Manhattan's thug-hugging DA, Alvin Bragg. He is yet another far-left prosecutor funded by real-life James Bond villain George Soros. Once elected, Republicans should reinstate the broken windows police strategies that Mayor Rudolph W. Giuliani, Republican of New York, and Police Commissioner Bill Bratton used to transform Gotham swiftly from America's crime capital 
into its safest metropolis. Republicans have five weeks to remind voters that the mayhem devouring America's cities and suburbs is no accident. It flows downstream from public policies willfully inflicted by the criminal's best friend, today's Democrat Party. I'm DeRoy Murdoch. You've been listening to the Fox News Rundown. Rundown. Stay up to date by subscribing to this podcast at foxnewspodcasts.com. And for up-to-the-minute news, go to foxnews.com. New from the Fox News Podcasts Network. My name is Kennedy, and welcome to my podcast, which will, I humbly say, single-handedly save the world. You're welcome. It's Kennedy Saves the World. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, subscribe and listen to the Trey Gowdy Podcast. Former federal prosecutor and four-term U.S. congressman from South Carolina brings you a -a one-of-a-kind podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com.